I I want this to be the last time I talk about all my religious views by myself. If I ever repeat myself, it's not out of insecurity, it's out of security. So therefore, I want to do the right thing and say, I'm going to sum up all my religious views, the rest of my views in this episode. So if I ever repeat myself, it'll be with guests, it'll be people that come on the show, the podcast, you know, because my soul is at rest, especially once I'm done with this. So I want to talk about something. Um, It's in my nature not to believe in eternal hell. I'm just telling you my inborn way of being. This is an argument for Christian Universalism by, you know, Justin Apptaker, January 17, 2022. This is allocation.com. Justin Apptaker, philosophy, religious studies, sociology, spirituality, culture, psychology, history in the future. Why I'm a Christian Universalist. I grew up in an evangelical Christian environment. Over the years, I developed a deep-seated terror of the idea of an eternal hell. Because of this, I eventually suffered a devastating mental breakdown since around thoughts of my own damnation. And this finally drove me to find new beliefs I had never even anticipated. Today, I would believe that one may have a biblical Christian faith while rejecting the idea that anyone will spend an eternity in quote-unquote hell. This is not to say that no one will be punished after death, but that this punishment is temporary, corrective, purgatorial, purgative, and remedial for the person's own good. Christian universalism is the belief that through Christ, God will eventually bring all people into a relationship with itself. I do not subscribe gender to God because I know that Putting God in like the masculine pronouns has traumatized so many people. I just choose not to be a part of the trauma business. The doctrine of universalism makes sense to me because many Christian scriptures explicitly state it. Because it can be inferred from the Christian conception of God's nature, because it was widely taught within the early church, seemingly unchallenged by the church for hundreds of years. And because scriptures that seem to contradict the doctrine can be viewed as either mistranslations or misinterpretations or both. The Bible explicitly supports universalism. The Bible explicitly states the doctrine of universalism in many places. Romans chapter 5 verse 18 says that just as one trespass results in a condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act results in justification of life for all people. The context of the whole chapter makes clear that the one trespass was the sin of Adam and Eve, and the one righteous act was the act of Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. Now, the only time I use masculine pronouns is when I'm talking about Jesus. But in terms of, like, a spiritual being, I do not use gender pronouns. Because Jesus was human, okay, he called himself masculine pronoun. So that's why I say Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. See how it says justification, not only life. It 
it isn't talking about merely a physical resurrection for all people, but new spiritual life and forgiveness for all people. Um, theologians often try to explain away scriptures like this by saying that the word all means all the elect or all who believe, but the Greek word for all, penta, undoubtedly means the same thing that it does in English. Simply put, it means all. This is also clear from the context of the passage from Romans that I quoted above. Notice how the verse starts by saying just as. So if we ask ourselves who is included among the all people who receive justification in life, the only sensible answer is that it is the very same all people who receive condemnation due to the sin of Adam and Eve. In other words, it means every person who has ever lived. Another example is Romans chapter 11, verse 2, which says, God has bound everyone over to disobedience today so that God may have mercy on them all. They tried to use the masculine pronoun. I just, I just repeat God's name because, yeah, scripture says what it says, but I still have to be sensitive to the trauma of patriarchy. Okay. It is very clear from reading the whole chapter on chapter 11 that when it says everyone was bound over to disobedience, it was referring to every single person. So when the verse speaks of God having mercy on them all, it is once more referring to every person. There are many scriptures like this, just as just a few examples include John chapter 12, verse 32, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 31, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, and Rev and Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Importantly, the Christian scriptures define eternal life not as an endless duration of life, but as a certain quality of life. That is, eternal life is defined as the quality of life that a person has when a person is living in communion with that which is eternal. That This is how Jesus is quoted defining it. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, that the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, John chapter 17, verse 3. Um, Similarly, he, Jesus says, you pour over the scriptures because you presume that by them you possess eternal life. These are the very words that testify about me that you refuse to come to me to have life. John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40. I'll return to this line of thought later in this article. Reflect on God's reflection on God's nature leads to the person. Connect the nature of God as described in Christian scriptures, leading to believe in universalism. I believe that God is love. Indeed, the Christian Bible also states that explicitly. First John chapter 4, verse 8. If God is love, then surely God wants the best for every person. Many scriptures support this. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God wants all people to be saved again. God does not want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. There are several other scriptures that plainly state that God desires salvation for everyone. I also believe God is powerful and wise enough to accomplish whatever God wants. When Christ's disciple once asked him, Jesus, who can be saved, part of his, Jesus' response was, with God all things are possible, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, to which we can infer, God can save anyone. If God decides every person be saved, and God can save anyone, how can anyone not be saved? The doctrine of eternal damnation suggests that either God's love is deficient or God's power is deficient or both God's love and God's power are deficient. I've also heard it object I've often heard it objected that God can save anyone but God will not do so because God refuses 
to interfere with the free will of any person. However, that idea is not scriptural at all. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 says, I, God, will accomplish all that I please. In other words, if God desires something, God not only has the ability to obtain it, but God will obtain it. God wants all people to be saved. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, and God will accomplish all of that evil. I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize for that. God will accomplish all that God pleases. Self-correction. Uh, Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10. Therefore, human free will is not going to thwart God's desire. See also Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, Romans chapter 9, verse 16 through 20. Also note how the discussion in Romans chapter 9, verse 16 through 20 continues in its final conclusion in Romans chapter 11, verse 32, which is explicitly universalistic. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is in such awe at this wonderful conclusion that he, the Apostle Paul, lapses into ecstatic worship for the next few verses, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, 30, Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. Uh, again, the Christian scriptures say, God is agape love and agape never fails. First John chapter 4, verse 8, First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. God is wise enough to have designed the universe such a way that eventually all people freely choose to love God. No person will choose for all eternity to continue rejecting God. Universalism is no decision that is in full harmony with the nature of God described by Christians and the Christian scriptures. Um, oh, okay, there's, there's more to say. Universalism was unchallenged by the early church. Also, that universalism was openly taught and widely believed throughout the early church, or the Christian church, for hundreds of years, only being formally denounced as heretical by the Roman Imperial Justinian in the middle of the sixth century. For most of the years prior to this, there's no record of doctrine having been censured, despite the fact that very many ideas were continually being attacked or censored as heretical throughout the years by the church. Uh, Dr. Hosea Ballou, who served as first president of Tufts University in Massachusetts, informed us in his book, The Ancient History of Universalism, that hundreds of years universalism was explicitly taught by such eminent church fathers as Clement of Alexandria, Oregon, and Gregory of Nicaea, with very widespread acceptance and little or no evident resistance from within the church. Not everyone believed it, but it appears that even those who did believe it were not attacking it or calling it heresy. Study of the Greek text supports universalism. Finally, I come to believe that scriptures that seem to teach eternal punishment can be viewed as either mistranslations or misinterpretations, or both mistranslations and misinterpretations. I base this belief on the opinions of certain certain highly esteemed Greek scholars, such as William Barclay, who wrote a widely popular series of commentaries on the books of the New Testament and discusses own universalist beliefs in this book. William Barclay's spiritual autobiography. I also based this conviction on my own study of Greek, which I studied for several years, including formerly for two years at the University of Tennessee. Well, my mastery of Greek is significant when compared with William Barclay's formidable expertise on the subject. The word that is consistently translated as quote-unquote eternal, for example, is the Greek adjective aeonios, derived from the noun aeon, but is best translated as a span of time and age. And A typically denotes a lengthy yet finite period of time. Aeonios as an adjective based on that neon, based on that noun ion, need not carry greater weight than the noun it was based upon. 
If we take the English noun day, for example, turn into the adjective daily, then daily suggests the same time frame. A daily shower not refer to a shower taken every week or every year or every day. So perhaps a better translation of aionials would be age less than pretending to an age. A number of respected early Christian writers describe annuals, punishment, or fire as God would eventually bring the punished souls back into, into fellowship with God's self. Such use of the terms annuals, punishment, would make no sense if the term refers to punishment with no end. Uh, additionally, such references to an end of hell's punishment for the individual are often made without much explanation by the authors, which would suggest that ancient readers would not have noticed a linguistic or theological contradiction that would demand further explanation. William Barclay in this book, William Barclay's virtual autobiography says that Aeonios denotes something that pertains to God's word for punishment, that is the Greek word halasis, which originally meant to prune trees, never denotes anything but remedial discipline. Thus, according to Barclay, the Greek terms which he has generally translated as eternal punishment are better thought of as meaning the remed that remedial slash corrective punishment which God and God alone is fit to give. Returning to what I discussed in the second section of this article, if eternal life is eternal because it is the quality of a life lived in communion with the eternal, then the opposite of eternal life is the quality of a life that is not lived in communion with the eternal rather than torment of an eternal duration. So I've shown how Christian scripture universes the seemingly orthodox status for hundreds of years now the church and the Christian conception of God also support the doctrine of universalism as well as how scriptures that seem to contradict it may seem to do so because of, of misinterpretation and mistranslation. For these reasons and for many other reasons I haven't discussed enough in this article, I believe that a Christian perspective invites a belief in universal salvation far more than it invites a belief in the salvation of only some. Due to the potential psychological and social impact of the widely proclaimed doctrine of eternal torment, I urge not only those of you who call yourselves Christians, but even those of you who aren't religious, to closely examine these issues, lest we allow a dangerous error to continue thriving. So, I've often struggled with this issue because it's easy to promote universalism as do all the evil as you please and you'll just get away with it. Um, that's not what I'm encouraging. Um, and I've always struggled with the duality of good and evil and how to handle it. Um, and I've struggled with it the most, not everybody else, but in my own family because I was the most traumatized in my family. Uh, so, honestly, I don't know what life will be like once I die as an afterlife. I'm not sure 
100% if there is an afterlife like I'm not sure if there's a heaven a hell and purgatory and you know there could be an eternal hell I mean I can't rule that out 100% because again the only life I'm 100% certain of is this one um, I would like to think of eternal hell as for the Saddam Hussein's, the Osama bin Laden's, the Idi Amin's, the Adolf Hitler's, the, uh, the Mussolini's, and um, and dictator-hearted type people. So I can't fully rule out eternal hell because there are some people that never want to do good anything Christ-like they just they spurn it they shun it so I understand like my heart believes in Christian universalism but just because my heart believes something that doesn't mean it's uh 100% truth so um I would like to think um that Jesus' death was so powerful that it covers everybody eternally even in this life uh, the way a lot of people behave I can't 100% feel that way even though my heart naturally does my reality and the reality of life, it doesn't 100% feel that way. Um, and I, I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this issue. My nature and reality are clashing and it's very painful for me. It's something I deal with daily. And uh, I'm not trying to encourage wrong in kind of way I'm just saying. It's hard to be balanced when it comes to duality, good and evil. For me, it really is. And it's something that is rough. Like, naturally, my heart wants to believe that the suffering crucifixion of Jesus Christ constitutes the mechanism that provides redemption for all humanity and atonement for all sins. And at the same time, you have people who never want to abide by the golden rule. You have people who never want to be a delight in a beautiful way to other people. Um, I, I, I think that there is divine retribution. Um... How long that divine retribution lasts, now that I don't know. I don't know how angry God is. I can't put my finger on the capacity for God's anger. I think there is divine retribution, but the um, duration of divine retribution that I have, I, I, I can't answer because I truly don't know. I do think that there is a real hell of some kind. I just don't know how long that real hell is. I understand the problem of hell 
you know, because, you know, why have a person who's suffering or, you know, nor a place of faith because they're fucking annihilated. Uh, what do you tell I naturally want to believe in things, but the way people behave, they're not healthy for taking the rest of this uh, doctrine at all. They're very unhealthy. My heart went to my people be good for good don't be good because you just want to go to heaven be good because good is the only sensible way to live and the other way to live is nonsensical like being bad and evil there's that is complete senselessness so be good for good don't be good for bad don't be good for rewards don't be good out of I don't want to be punished. No, be good for good. Be good by good. Be good to good. Be good with good. Be good for good. That is why we're supposed to live the way that we live. When I think of good, I think of God. So if you're doing good, you're doing God, okay? And you can be secular and have godly characteristics, God-like characteristics, meaning you're loving, you're peaceful, you're kind, you're gentle. Um, even the wrathful side, it's not about, uh, it's not a tribalistic wrath, but it's more of a, hey, you are threatening the inner peace and the world peace that we're, most of us are trying to achieve, that kind of thing. Inner peace, world peace is people who are, it's a mixture of people. It's a mixture of people who don't think, live, and love like each other, but they're all decent persons. So secular people, faith-based people, that's a peaceful coexistence when it comes to that. So I'm telling you, I, 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 yes, I have contradictory views because I'm struggling with what type of justice. It's hard to know which justice should be shown. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's participatory justice, there's restorative justice, there's retributive justice, and there's solitary confinement. So justice is something that we should always demonstrate, but which type of justice fits the most appropriate response to each individual case of injustice that's hard for me to do in life and that's hard for me to do when it comes to the concept of any kind of afterlife concept of just i struggle with it so my heart believes one thing but reality keeps saying something completely different so you know It ain't easy. Like, my heart is naturally geared toward prison abolition, but some people like to behave as animals, and it's like, 
if we lock them up somewhere. So that's a that's a contradiction that I I wrestle with internally. My heart is naturally geared toward the abolition of capital punishment, but you have so many perverts and sickos out here that a lot of times my first mental thought is to just kill them and at least their evil is physically eradicated because they're not breathing anymore. So, tell you, man, the, the good and evil duality is it's 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 rough. It, it's not something that you can bada boom, bada bang. You know, that's why the concept of perfection, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's fascinating that that's attributed to Jesus at the same time. Why is Jesus the only one that's said to be perfect? Why is it bad for others to be perfect? I never understood the concept of perfection. It's like, I get the whole not wanting to offend more importantly to live morally at the same time. Don't often we feel the most related, you know, feel the most relatability to a person who actually grows up in the sex? Tell you, man, contradictions. See, I openly admit the contradictions of my heart and the contradictions of the outer life that I'm living with you all. So, yes, I um, want to wrap up this episode with this last statement. Um, is, is heaven temporal or eternal? I don't know. Is purgatory temporal or eternal? I don't know. Anything involving the afterlife? could be real or symbolic of both villains and box. I don't know. I really don't know. So, I value oneness and wholeness. To me, oneness is, is that we are all versions and expressions of each other. That's what I naturally believe, even though, again, outer life keeps contradicting that. And I naturally believe in wholeness. Um... I believe that we should be all of who we are in terms of every side of our temper and personality, but with appropriateness and suitability. So in my closing statement, to say what I've been saying the last, I mean, the other previous episodes. I am one and I am whole with myself, life, the planet Earth, the universe, animals, nature, insects, architecture, and people. I love myself, animals, nature, architecture. I love myself, animals, nature, architecture, people, um, planet, earth, life, universe. That's true. That's true for me. I'm one and I'm whole and I love like Myself as a creation, all others as a creation. And um, thank you for letting me do this episode. So I know that some people are like, but you did the article. I'm like, but at the same time, 
In your heart, there's a conviction, but often convictions seem to be opposed based upon the complexity of of humans, so Thank you for letting me struggle in public, people. And this is the last religion episode. I'll be doing my religion episode again, April 4th, 2022.